Now, I think we're all city folk here. Yeah, can I say that? I, I call myself a city person now, uh, even though I've only been here a couple of months. Um, I hope that's okay. If you're used to living in villages, you normally have to live there for 40 years before they call you a, a local. Uh, so I, I, I call myself a city person now, and I love it. So even though we're city folk here, I'm guessing that you could tell me what a sheep looks like. Our reading this evening is the first part of the parable of the sheep and the goats. And so I'm also guessing that you know the difference between a sheep and a goat. If I brought a sheep and a goat here, you'd be able to say which one is which. Now, mixed flocks of sheep and goats were common in Israel. A Middle Eastern sheep and goats actually look alike. So sheep and goats would graze together in mixed flocks. And separating sheep from goats in Western countries isn't difficult, as the sheep have been bred to promote their wool wool production, so they look different. But I understand that sheep and goats in Asia and Africa are often similar in appearance. And so non-shepherds, and I'm guessing you're non-shepherds, would find it difficult to distinguish between such sheep and goats. But the shepherd of the flock knows the difference and easily separates them. And one of the ways the shepherd can tell them apart is their behaviour. There are differences in behaviour. Sheep, I understand, tend to follow goats go their own way. I think it was Adrian Plass, that great theologian, as I call him, who said that it wasn't the passages of scripture that he didn't understand that worried him, but rather the passages of scripture that he did understand, which concerned him. And I have to be absolutely honest with you this evening. This is a parable which makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. Am I a sheep or am I a goat? Please don't answer. If you want to tell me afterwards, you know, just, just, just wait until the service is finished, please. But it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know if it does with yourselves. It makes me feel uncomfortable because it highlights not necessarily the things that I have done wrong, and there are plenty of them, but the good that I have neglected to do. Coming to the reading, it reminds us there are six works of love. Feeding the hungry giving a drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, taking care of the sick, 
and visiting the prisoner. We know on Wednesday we've got a speaker talking about behind bars. Six works of love, but this list is not exhaustive. And these qualities are all about showing and exercising God's love to everyone, to everyone, and including particularly those for whom no one else cares. Those for whom no one else cares and could not give the time of day. And we miss the point completely if we read those six actions of love as a list of rules to be obeyed. And we tick it off every single day when we've done it. God wants us to do these things naturally, like second nature, without even stopping to think about them. We do these acts of kindness and love because that's who we're about. That's what we are. And yet, we may say, certainly I say it about myself, is that such things perhaps don't come naturally to us. If we're honest. In fact, they sound like the kind of things that need a bit of effort. The kind of things that we really need to work at. And I'm not denying that. But it's an effort that springs from knowing Jesus. Worshipping him as we are today. Hearing his word. Sharing communion together. Receiving from him. And it's important to say at this point, and you of course already know this, this passage isn't about earning our salvation. That's not what it's about at all. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we're not talking about earning our salvation, because quite simply we cannot do that. And that's not what the Christian faith is about. But nevertheless, our conduct matters. And bearing that in mind, whether we like it or not, the world watches us. Certainly when I was in secular employment, I often got called the vicar's wife because my husband's a minister and people would watch me and how I behaved, the kind of things I laughed at. If something happened in the news, they would come over and ask me what I thought about it as a Christian. Whether we like it or not, the world watches us. And as a church, we've got a voice, and an important voice. Love, in the teaching of Jesus, 
is the essence of true religion. And throughout the centuries, many people, famous and unknown, have found in the life of Jesus an inspiration to the self-sacrificing service of the poor and the forgotten people. We see Jesus ministering to those people on the margins, those people that society didn't want to have anything to do with. And people see that in Jesus and are inspired by him and empowered by him to serve him in the same way. It's so important that people know that they are valued. And that may begin first simply by them knowing that they are valued by us, valued by you, before they can then take that journey to knowing and acknowledging for themselves that they are valued by God. So that journey that they take will begin with you. But coming back to those six works of love, do you know what's so amazing about them? Is that they were performed for those who could not immediately repay the kindness that had been shown to them. If they were ever able to at all, actually. Those who were on the receiving end were receiving the fruits of a love without condition. The people who showed this love were not expecting anything in return. I once read that at no other time in the history of Christianity did love so characterise the entire church as it did in the first three centuries. The stories of the early church that we read about in the Bible are thrilling, they're so exciting. And in those first three centuries, the Roman society took note. Remember I said earlier, the world watches us, and Roman society was watching the early church. And there was a guy called Tertullian. What a lovely name. Tertullian. Who said this? He reported that the Romans would look at the Christian church and say, see how these Christians love one another. That was what he said. That was what the Romans saw when they looked at the early church. See how these Christians love one another. But it wasn't just fellow Christians that they loved and served. When a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in the third century, Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick which they did at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. 
That was how the Christian faith spread, even when the Roman emperors were determined to stamp it out. Many, many Christian martyrs lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. They would not back down despite this pressure from the Romans. And people saw the Christians behaving like this and they wanted to know why. You know, why do you behave like this? Why do you love one another? Why are you prepared to take risks for other people? You see, the world was full of people who didn't help, who didn't care for the weak and the vulnerable. And the Christians were modelling a new way of being human. It was and remains compelling, doesn't it? It's absolutely compelling. And even when we reflect on our own Methodist heritage, weekly prison visits, visiting the sick, feeding the hungry, assisting strangers, were part of the spiritual discipline of John and Charles Wesley. And so the sheep in this parable appear to be completely unaware of the beauty and the devotion of their lives. Their commendation was received with surprise, not false modesty. And what Jesus highlights in this parable here is that he intended his followers to be utterly different. Different. People who reflected God and his love in a whole new way to the world. And there'll be surprises all round when the things that people have done as a second nature or without thinking turn out to reveal their deepest characters. And so I encourage you to reflect on the parable, to think about see how these Christians love one another speaks to you. One of the things you're going to hear more about in the coming weeks as we gather momentum uh, up until December is this church's work with the homeless. It's something that you've been doing for the last two or three years. There's a pioneer minister called Reverend Annie Kirk. And together with the churches in Westminster, provide shelter and food and somewhere to sleep for the homeless in Westminster. We are the sheep who clothe the naked, who feed the hungry. And I want to show you a short clip now, hoping that the media will work about this work. It's about three minutes. But if you want to be involved in this work, for a Friday night in December and January, come and have a chat with me or speak to Martin or Tony. But certainly when I heard about this work, I was excited. And this is ministry on the margins. And this is what the Christian church is about. 
And so I hope to show you our film clip. <laughs> 